0: Coming to you from North Central Ohio, we share with you Relevant Truth, a week-by-week venture into the Word of God, giving insight as to how it relates to our lives and that of our families. Sponsored by Bucyrus Church of the Nazarene, we join our pastor, Reverend Ray LaSalle, as he shares Relevant Truth. You want to have a healthy vision for this year let's find out what God is saying is mine and let's run with it because it's important to God sometimes God has to kind of melt our wills down so we lay aside our agendas so we can pray as Christ prayed in the garden not my will but but thine be done let's talk about what God is God is saying is mine Matthew chapter 3 verse 17 God said this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased it's after the baptism of Christ that God certified who Jesus Christ was scripture says that God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son who is that son and God said this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the next forty days and forty nights, the devil came and said, "If thou be the Son of God, if if you really who you say you need to bow down and worship me, hey, don't fall for it. Don't worship anything that's calling your attention. Let's worship the one that God sent, His Son." And I find it interesting the the fact that the moment you're born again and you become the son of God, the devil will come around and he'll begin to try to get you to doubt that you belong to God, that you're not good enough and you, you, you got problems and, and it can't, you can't measure up and on and on. He'll go, he'll try to get you to doubt that you really are the son of God. But listen to what the Bible says in first John three, two beloved, now are we the sons of God. That means we don't belong to the devil. We don't have to listen to his voice. And Jesus was more than a good teacher, he was the Son of God. Therefore, the Jews hated him according to John 5 18 because he said, My Father, God is my Father, making him co equal with God. They didn't like that. And Jesus Christ is co equal with the Father. Not only that, he's co Way back before the early beginnings, before a sun was ever lit and the stars begin to shine in their sockets, before God ever set the world and, and uh, the, we call the earth out there on her socket and slapped it into motion and begin to whirl and twirl before rivers ever flowed and oceans ever roared, Jesus was coexistent with the Father. John one says in verse one, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him, there's nothing that was made. And then verse 14, and the Word was made flesh, Thank God, and dwelt among us. The great golden text of the Bible is made up of 25 words. Did you realize the first 12 words is God reaching down to man? The last 12 words is God or man trying to reach back up to God. And that's the central word, that 13th word in between the 12 and the 12 links up God's side with man's side for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. God reaching down, offering the best gift that he had, and then man reaching back that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And the word that links up God's side with man's side is that middle word, son. My son, in whom I'm well pleased. I'm talking about the one that can link heaven and earth together, the man on the middle cross. One who would aside his robes of divinity and put on the skin and the shoes of humanity. God said, my son, hear ye him. This year, here's another thing that God says is mine. He said, my people. In 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, my people. God has a people, he always has, and he always will. Elijah thought he was one day the only one left. Let me tell you something. When you think you're the only one that's got it and nobody else has it, God has a way to replace you with a, an Elisha. You're no longer usable. He said, I'm the only one that's left. And he said, why? I've been zealous for the Lord, the God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And God answered in 1 Kings 19, 18, yet he said, I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to bell god's got a crowd yet he's got more than just you and there may be people of another flock and another foal that you know not of and don't you be throwing rocks at anybody god may be favoring some others also i like romans chapter 11 verse 4 he said i've reserved to myself several thousand men who have not bowed their knee to the image of baal now catch this verse 5 even so, then at this present time also, there is a remnant. God has a remnant; He always has, and He always will. During the Antediluvian period, God had a Noah. When everything else failed, God had a Noah that built an ark for the saving of His household. During the Babylonian captivity, God had three Hebrew boys that wouldn't bend, they wouldn't bow, and they wouldn't burn. God had a Daniel that the lions couldn't chew up. And when Jesus was two years of age, he had come into his own and his own received him not. 2,000 miles away, it took two years to get there, but some wise men came to fall down and to worship him. God has always got a following. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all your amens. God is saying, my people, my people are called out people. They're converted people. They're consecrated and a cleanse people, my people. And if you want God to show up this year, listen to me, this is the formula. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. Can I stop there for a moment? Before you, you start this prayer thing, you better realize before you start praying, you better humble yourself. Anybody can do their prayer thing and do this Theoretical and, and theological and, and impressive little prayers and catch attention and put it all together right, but until we bow our knee and humble ourselves, we're not in a position to pray. But if we'll humble ourselves and pray and seek my face and turn from our wicked ways or those things that grieve a oh, holy God, revival will come, and a move of God will come, not through the politicians. That'll surprise you, won't it? It won't come through Hollywood. It won't come through the great minds of the scientists. It won't come through the, the mighty manpower of a great nation. It won't come through the wheels of industry. A contemporary of John Wesley was George Whitfield. Whitfield was an orator. He could, he could stand and speak to 10,000 people without a microphone. Nobody ever heard anything like him. when he came to America, nobody knew who he was. He was from Europe. They brought him into a factory to show him through a factory. And when he walked in, every man in the place fell to their face and began to seek God. There was enough power of God on that man. He was God's man, a godly man. If my people, that's what I'm trying to say, uh, will humble themselves and pray. Belonging to a denomination doesn't make you my people. Merely attending church doesn't make you my people. My people are a humble people. There's no arrogance there. There's no fault-finding, judgmental, uh, carrying a little grudge around. My people are a humble people. My people pray. My people are seeking my face and my will, and they're turning from their grievous ways anything that would offend the holy heart of a great God. Now, here's what God said he will do if my people will do that. He said, I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. I want to tell you something. America needs to hear from heaven. And we've got a lot of sins that need to be forgiven. And we need a great healing in our land. A nation divided against itself shall not stand. And I know some Christians better get on board and get with the unity and quit being a part of the division. Thank you, thank you. My name, my people, Then he mentions my day. Did you know that God has a day? Not your day, it's his day. He said here in Isaiah fifty eight, If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, my day. And call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. In the Old Testament was the last day of the week. In the New Testament, we read, now, after the Sabbath, this is Matthew 28, 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. The first day of the week is found in the New Testament exactly in eight different places. The Bible refers to the Lord's Day as a day of rest. I want to talk to you about that for a moment you need a day of rest i need a day of rest and god set the example he he worked in the great creation week he worked six days and then he took a day of rest and god has given to man six days to do his business you got six whole days that you get you can work you can play you can do whatever you want to but god reserves only one day that we're to come to spend some time with him it's a day of rest your body needs some rest you can't keep pushing it forever without it breaking down you've got to have some rest your mind needs some rest your nerves need some rest your spirit and your soul need to be refreshed it's a day of rest but it's also a religious day we ought to serve God every day But this is a day set aside together and to worship and the writer of the Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but let us exhort one another so much the more as we see that day approaching it's a time of coming together now we on Monday at this place we have some different things happening among those about every Monday Is a group that come to celebrate recovery. They've got hang-ups, they've got habits, they've got uh, addictions, and they're coming because they need the support of one another. You know why we hang together around the church? We need the support of each other. We're to be exhorting one another. We're to be encouraging one another because we've got an old devil out here that's trying to throw a lot of temptations and addictions into our life and to get us caught away from spiritual things. May I say the Lord's day is not a holiday. It's a holy day. You'd better keep it holy because he said it's my day. Seems rather strange to me that God would give mankind six days to do whatever he needs to do. And then we want to borrow God's day to go see grandma. And not show up at the house of God. I'm just talking to you for a moment. Judgment needs to begin at the house of the Lord. And some of us need to start putting God first. God's only asking for 52 days out of the year. And the rest of the 313, you can enjoy whatever you want to do, but don't forsake the assembly. Be there. 2020 vision is a healthy vision. It'll help us to see what's important to God. Now, here's another thing that God says is mine. If my people, which are called by what my name, all year long, think about that, how you treat the name of the Lord. Better be careful how you use His name. The world uses it in vain. It's the second of the Ten Commandments: Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Religious huskers are using it for profit. That's why Matthew chapter 7 said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name? And in thy name did we not cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works. And God's answer in verse 23, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I want to just say this. I've been preaching since 1967. In these years, I've tried to never name out another denomination from the pulpit. I've tried to never name any personal names of others in the religious world, and I'm not going to start now. But I want to tell you, there's a lot of hucksters out there that's selling the gospel as some kind of a prosperity thing and some kind of a miracle thing. I want to tell you something. We get away from preaching the blood of Jesus Christ can cover our sins, and we're getting in danger zones. We'd better be his people if we're going to be Using His name, for there's no other name given under heaven and earth whereby men can be saved. It's at that name that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Here's another thing that God says is mine. He said, "My house, my house, not your house." I don't care if you're watching by live stream or you'll catch it next week by telecast. God's house. So don't worry about the collar of the seats and. Don't worry about the carpet and don't worry what the preacher is wearing and etc. It's not yours anyhow. It said, it's my house. My house should be called what? A house of prayer. Matthew 21, 13. It's chilling to think that God says judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them be that obey not the gospel of God? 1 Peter 4, 17. Can I just say to you that God, first of all, wants you to find a house? It may not be in your notes. You can throw it in there if you want. It's four Fs. Do you ever get an F in school? Here's four more. You better find a house. Storehouse, church house, God's house. You better find a house. These people that's out there floating around and they don't belong anywhere and they don't really get involved in anything, you better find a house. If you want the blessing, the blessing's in the house better find you a house. May I also add, you better finance the house too. It's not the white house, it's God's house. But it doesn't need to be the poor house either. Here's what Malachi said in his book, chapter 3, verse 10, bring you all the tithe, that's one-tenth of what your income is. And the reason God walked off on that generation back there for 400 years, never spoke, they stole from him the tithe and the offering, and God said, you're cursed. What do you, what do, you do, do, preacher? I, I do what I'm supposed to. You put your tithe in. I just tell them, take it out before you ever give it to me and just give me the rest. There's no fuss about it from the main office. Just take it out. The tithe. Bring you all the tithe into the storehouse. Storehouse, smile. That there might be meat in my house and prove me now. Only time that God ever said try him or prove him or test him. The only time. And prove me now with, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not pour out a blessing. Why, if I had to throw open the windows of heaven, open every door, there be not enough room to receive all the blessings I'll send your away. I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. And he shall not destroy the fruit of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all the nations shall call you blessed. If judgment begins at the house of God, some of us better quit stealing. I'm just flat out telling you. That's between you and God. I'm just a pastor. I have no other authority. I'm just called to preach. I didn't write the book. I'm just called to preach the book. If i'd been writing the book i wouldn't have added any or left any out but i'm just called to preach it and so i'm telling you like it is the tithe. that's me and that's you and all of us may i also add find you a church but finance the church but you need to be a fixture in the church king david wrote the psalms 84th the psalm and the 10th verse and he said for better is one day in your courts than a thousand otherwise or elsewhere he said I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked a doorkeeper Do you know there's a place of usefulness here in this church for everyone you can be a doorkeeper you can be an usher you can be on the security team you could practice in the choir. You can get on the praise team. There's a place for every one of us. Find your place. And, and if you're falling through the cracks and we don't seem to get in front of us and stand there until we run over you and say, I want to be used. I want a place of usefulness in the church. Find a, be a fixture of the church. Then I would also mention, be a foundation in his house now therefore you're no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and of a household the household of faith and are built upon the foundation you catch that the foundation of the apostles and prophets jesus christ himself being the chief cornerstone some of us need to step up to the plate and become churchmen we need to be more than seat warmers and attenders. we need to become Churchmen, We need to become a part of the foundation. It ought to be a struggle trying to get enough people to do ministry around the church. Let's be a part of the foundation. Now, God never said that his house was to be called a house of preaching. He never said it was to be called a house of talent. He never said it was to be a house of music. He never said it was to be a production house. He said, my house is to be called a house of prayer. And you go to most religious institutions, and the emphasis is the least on prayer of any other thing that you could mention. It's the last on the agenda. It's just a little slice of something that we throw in. I watched uh, Jim Zimbala or Bella, however you want to pronounce it, at Brooklyn Tab watched him on the internet the other afternoon and i think it's on tuesday they've made it a place of prayer and on tuesday i believe it is that people are to come and pray and the building will fill up till there's no place left and there'll be a thousand or so standing outside on the sidewalk <laughs> waiting till somebody leaves so they can get in and find a place to pray no wonder lives are transformed to brooklyn Tad. wouldn't it be something if if we tried to have Sunday morning service and you hear prayers coming from this little Sunday school class and back in the gym and back over in the, uh, the little chapel we, we call for Wednesday night and, and wouldn't it be something if people came early to find a place of prayer? Just talking to you. It's to be called a house of prayer. Some of us need to get on our prayer bones again. St. James... When they buried him, they said that his knees were so covered with calluses that later on they called him callous knees, James. Now, if God's priority is that his house be a house of prayer, it ought to be our priority. We need to make it our priority. In fact, the matter James, when he closed out his little book, the last chapter is listing seven different types of prayer. I think that prayer would solve a lot of things around the church. Clyde Barnhart, he's now retired after 50 years of pastoring. He looked across the boat at me and he said, I want to tell you something, young man, and nobody calls me that anymore. But he said, I've pastored 50 years. He said, never have I pastored a people more sick, more dysfunctional, and more carnal than these days. Pastoring, he said, is tedious. And it is tedious if you've got people that think they know all the answers and they're a judgmental crowd. If they'd spend as much time in prayer as they thought they knew it all, I want to tell you something, the church would come alive. You wouldn't have to give altar calls. You wouldn't have to do much of anything if we spent that kind of time in prayer that we did on other things. I'd like for this church to be called a house of prayer. That's what God wants his house called. What about my peace? God's concerned about his peace. In a world torn by strife and divided by opinions and dirtied by sin, people are desperately seeking for personal peace. Some of them are looking into a bottle. Some are jamming a needle into their arm. Others are swallowing pills. Some just pick up a gun. But everybody is looking for peace. Many people are seeking some kind of a peace from their own personal demons. And Jesus said to his disciples, and he says it to us, he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. Give I unto thee. Be not troubled let not your hearts be troubled he actually said neither let it be afraid here's another thing God said is mine my word shall not return unto be void God had the first word God will have the last word God has something to say and that's why the word was made flesh and and the word you get words by letters and letters make words and words make sentences and sentences make paragraphs and Paragraphs are something that needs to be said. And Jesus, the Word, left heaven because he wanted you to hear. He didn't want to leave man in the dark. And so Jesus is the incarnate Word. But that wasn't enough. We have the written Word. It's what we call the inspired Word. All Scripture is given by inspiration. It is profitable. All of it. For doctrine, for rebuke for correction for instruction in righteousness why that the man of God might be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works 2nd Timothy 3 16 17 reason the Bible has lasted these last 2,000 years is because man couldn't stamp stamp it out or stomp it out and the devil couldn't eradicate it because it's God's word heaven and earth shall pass away but my word will not only two things that'll last through the eternities that's the word of God and the souls of men that's why the word of God's pretty precious and I want to tell you something if you ever get to realizing that every time a baby's born into this world the spirit and the body they become a living soul that'll be somewhere sometime forever long after the undertaker has put the body in the ground that soul will be somewhere either a topless heaven or a bottomless hell, they'll last forever. We'd better get the Word of God to them. It's still the bestseller. More than 50, or more than 5 billion copies have been sold and distributed. It's my roadmap, thy word, has become a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If you want to keep from sinning, it's thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against God. Moses sat down and he wrote the history books and the law books and the genealogy books and Psalmist David wrote the wrote the hymn book and Malachi, uh, by the time you get to the end of the Old Testament, Malachi gets into your pocketbook, Bring you all the time, thy word. Let's make this a year of getting back into the word of God, getting back on our knees and becoming people of prayer, and let's focus on what God holds close to his heart. And lastly, my spirit, my spirit, shall not always strive with man. The Holy Spirit, when he's come, he'll reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. The old song said, Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry, while all others thou art calling. Do not pass me by. When Jesus left this earth, he sent the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God is that Personality that begins to quicken your heart and convicts you and convinces you that you have a need. You want a healthy 2020 vision for this year? You need to see what is important to God. Let's make his house a house of prayer. Let's keep his day. Let's read his word. Let's honor his name. Let's find his peace. Let's believe in his son. And let's listen to His Spirit. And we can have a vision, we can see our way through a year that looks a bit troubling the way it's going right now. Father. You've been listening to Relevant Truth, one of the many ministries of Usiris Church of the Nazarene with Reverend Ray LaSalle. Join us at one of our regular service times, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. You can also find us on the web at busirisnazarene.org. We're located just south of Bucyrus, Ohio on State Route 4. B.N.C. A place for you.